2 Timothy chapter 3. We'll be spending most of our time in this whole chapter this morning. We'll be flipping a few times, so you might want to go ahead and put your ribbon there. That way you can find it very quickly when we go back to the text. But, you know, you turn on the television and you turn on the news and you just see all the horrid things that are going on in our nation. Uh, The different events that are happening, the different uh, pieces of legislation that is being passed to just show how wicked and corrupt and evil our nation is becoming. And we always think, could it get any worse? You know, man, it's it's just getting bad. How how much worse could, could this nation go? How how much evil could this nation continue to, to withstand without it just collapsing? And and you think about all these different things that go on and and we think about, man, we are truly living in perilous times. We're living in evil days, the Bible even says. We are looking to a better day and a better future. And that, of course, is going to heaven where there is no days that we are living in like today. Uh, This morning, we're going to be spending our time in 2 Timothy chapter 3. And we'll be talking about perilous times and looking at what the Bible has to say about perilous times. Before I dive into 2 Timothy chapter 3, I do want to say on the outset of this lesson, many times people are saying, don't you see all the things that are going on? Don't you don't you see that these are the ends of the age? Oh, don't you don't you see, Austin, that these are the things that are happening and these are the things that, that are going on that show us that Jesus is about to come back. These are the years of, of tribulation. This is six 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 and these are these are the mark of the beast. But friends, those are things that are prophesied about in the book of Revelation that have already happened and we could do, talk about that later. That's not what we're talking about here when we talk about perilous times in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're just talking about evil days are here. How that there always has been evil days. That there always will be evil days. But we as Christians need to stand upon God's truth and always look to God in His Word. So let's let's go ahead and dive into this book of or this chapter, 2 Timothy chapter 3. And verse number 1 is what I've called the promise of perilous days, the promise. Now when I talk about a promise, I'm talking about these are things that are surely going to come. Look at verse number 1 of 2 Timothy chapter 3. Notice the first word that he has here. The word but. A but is a comparison word, but he is showing warning. You look at look at the end there of 2 Timothy chapter 2. He talks about how that um, there's this man that is a great example for us to follow. Uh, or a servant of the Lord that we're able to teach others and, and all these different things that we can snare the, the evil days of the devil, verse 26. But then he gets to verse number 20, verse chapter 3, verse 1, and he uses this comparison word, but. He is giving them a warning of the times that are about to come. He says, but know this. The idea of knowing this is to understand, to hang on to, to remember this, that this is something that you need to know. But know this. That in the last days, now the idea of last days there is not talking about like many people view the book of Revelation. It is not talking about, you know, these are the last days before Jesus comes back. This is talking about the Christian dispensation. It's talking about the time in which we are living now and have been since the, the beginning of the establishment of the New Testament church. Let me just give you a few references and we'll go there very quickly to see these things. Hold your marker here in the book of 2 Timothy and go back to the Old Testament, the minor prophet Joel. The minor prophet, a little book called Joel. 
Joel has three chapters, and there in chapter number two, he talks about something that is to come, a prophecy. Beginning in verse number 28, he says, And it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also my maidens and all my maiden servants, I'll pour out my spirit in those days. And I will show you the wonders in heaven and in earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the, the coming and the awesome day of the Lord, uh, the day of the Lord. Now look at verse 32. And it shall come to pass, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in, for in Zion, Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance. And, uh, and the Lord said, among the remnant who calls the Lord. So here we see a day that is coming. That the, the, the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out upon all people. That, that they're going to dream dreams. That they're going to see prophecies. That all these things are going to happen. It's going to happen in Jerusalem on Mount Sinai. And where is that that happens? Go to Acts chapter 2. Okay, so this is a prophecy that is fulfilled in Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse number 17. Notice what Peter says here in Acts 2 and verse 17. Here he says, this is what was spoken by Joel. Now, why do you think I went to Joel? Because here Peter is referencing what Joel is saying. Now, what does he say? And it shall come to pass, and notice this next phrase, in the last days. So what Peter is doing here is he is referencing back to Joel, saying, hey, Joel said this. And we read Joel, and Joel is saying that there's going to be a, an establishment of the church, essentially, if we look at it and dissect it even more. But here, he's going to, it's going to happen in the last days. Now, what do we know that happens here in Acts chapter 2? It is the establishment of the New Testament church. And so we say, when does the last days begin? It begins right here in Acts chapter 2. We're not, we haven't been living in the last days, the last, you know, 40 years like some people have been thinking of. We've been living in the last days since the beginning of the New Testament church. So we can say that we've been living in the last days since the beginning of the Christian age. You can also go over to Hebrews chapter 1 and look at verse number 2. And there it says, and in these last days he has spoken to us through his, through his son whom he appointed heir of all things. Through him he also made the world. So what do we? What can we conclude about this phrase, the last days? It's not talking about the book of Revelation. It's talking about the Christian age from the cross until Jesus comes back. That has all been called the last days. So when we go here to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 15, he says, but know this, in the last days perilous times will come. He's just talking about the Christian dispensation. He's talking about, hey, perilous days are here now as I'm writing this. And they're going to continue to live on until Jesus comes back because that is the Christian age. And then he, then he says this, perilous time. The idea of perilous means grievous, fierce, difficult, a great stressful. It's going to be difficult days. The idea of perilous times is just talking about, hey, these are days that is, if you're going to be a Christian, it's not going to be an easy life. It's going to be a very difficult life. It's going to be days that are evil as the Bible also says. And then he uses the day, shall come or will come, which show certainty without question. So when you look at verse 1, he kind of lays the foundation for this whole chapter. He's saying, hey, you need to be prepared. You need to be watchful. It's here, it's now, and there's going to be perilous times. This is the promise of perilous days. And you, Like I said, you turn on the TV, and you see all these things that are going on of perilous days. 
But let's, let's dive into this idea more of perilous days by looking at verses 2 through 7 and looking at the people. The people of perilous days. Number one, there's a promise. But number two, let's look at the people of perilous days. Who are the people that, that are going to make it perilous? The people that are going to make it hard to live under? The people that are going to make it evil? We're going to look at this idea in two ways. Number one, we're going to look at their deeds. Their deeds. Because if you look at verses 2 through 7, um, you're going to see a lot of characteristics. You're going to see a lot of listing of names, okay? You look at verse 2, unloving, unforget, or excuse me, verse 2. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers. You see it, just a whole list that goes on and on and on. And these are just a big, long laundry list of people that are causing these perilous days, these evil days. So let, I didn't put them in your handout because if I did, it would be a very, very long list, as you can tell by looking at just verses 2 down to about verse number 5 of these perilous days. But let's dive into these just a little bit to understand who these people are and their deeds that they are doing and how that they are evil in the sight of God. Number one, the first one mentioned there in verse number two, for men will be lovers of themselves. The idea of lovers of themselves is that they care about number one, that they care about themselves, they do not care about anybody else. You you know people like that. What do they do? They look out for the interests of their own instead of the interests of others. And we know that as a Christian... We need to make sure that we look out for the for others. That we are here to teach the gospel, to preach the gospel, and to help those in need. But we see here that, number one, that they are lovers of self, that they're selfish, their intent is only on themselves. But then not only are they lovers of themselves, but number two, they are lovers of money. Lovers of money. Now, we know that money is something that gets them people's way a lot of the time. We looked at that in Bible class this morning, looking at the book of Ecclesiastes. But when you think about money, people say that money is the root of all evil, but that's really not. What does the Bible say in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10? The love of money is the root of all evil. And that's what this text is saying here. It's not the money is the evil, but the lovers of money, that they want more money, that they want to continue to have more, that they want these possessions and all these things. You know, God's plan is that we worship and love God and that we use our things that we have to, to worship Him and to worship uh, Almighty God and to help serve others. But when our priorities become skewed, we start to worship ourselves, we ignore God, we love the things of the world instead of loving this. And one thing that can help us with this idea of love of money is looking and saying, hey, this is not mine, but it's God's and I need to be a good steward of it. So we, so we see lovers of themselves, lovers of money. The third one in this list is boasters. You know, these, this idea of braggers. You know, they like to be uh, all about themselves. I, you kind of see a progression, right? They're lovers of themselves. They're lovers of their money. You know, if they're a lover of themselves and if they're a lover of their money, what they're going to do? They're going to brag about themselves, right? They're going to brag about their money. They're going to brag about all these different things that they have. So these are kind of a progression as we move through this text. But they, they love to be about this. They're empty pretenders is what this word literally means. They like to be braggers about what they've done and what they're going to continue to do. Going right along with, with braggers or boasters there in verse 2, the next one mentioned is proud. Well, of course, if they're, bo- if they're boasting and they're bragging, what are, they, what are they very proud of themselves? He says they are very proud. Proverbs uh, 16 and verse 18 Pride goes before destruction, the haughty spirit before a fall. These people are very prideful. 
These are self-centered people. We don't need to be like that. Proud can be overestimate of one's worth. But then he goes on to say blasphemers. Blasphemers. The idea of blasphemer is given to contentious and bitter words. They are those who speak evil of God and His children and God's Word. They blaspheme the Word of God. I mean, you think of different things that go on in the world today. And it's a blaspheme before God, isn't it? And it's a blaspheme to the things that go on. People today are giving in to the ways of the world. And what have they done? They blaspheme the Word of God. They said, you know what, I'm going to take the Word of God and just put it aside because I'm not following it anymore. And that's, I mean, these are all going hand in hand, one with another. Another one is there mentioned. It's kind of funny that he, he goes from lovers of money, loves herself, boasters, proud, blasphemers, and then he throws this one in there. Disobedient to parents. They reject the Christian values and reach that they teach and reach in their home. But we understand the importance of Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. Children, obey your parents and Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother. This is a commandment with promise. We understand that, hey, this is something that children need to do. You know, I, I see it all the time, right? When I teach school, I see how parents you know, give in to their children. They don't discipline their children. And what happens? Children run ragged, right? Instead of being, and they're not obedient to their parents, they are disobedient to the parents. And has, I guess the reason that Paul mentions this one here is because where does it start? Where can we fix a lot of these problems? In the home. In the home. And we need to do that there. And then, then the next to last one in verse 2 is unthankful. They're ungrateful for what they have, whether it come from God or men. The last one, I'm going through these very quickly just because I know time gets away from us and there's a big long list here. Unholy is the last one mentioned in verse 2. This is wicked. Men will increase in wickedness as the end approaches. I mean, you just see the unholy. You know, many times we we describe America as a Christian nation. The idea of Christian is one that is that follows Christ, one that is a holy nation. But you turn on the TV and you see all the wickedness, all the things that abandon God's word and the following of it. We cannot say we are a holy nation anymore. We are an unholy nation doing unholy things in this. But look at verse three. This list continues on this. This long list of people that are living in perilous times. Unloving. The idea describes a breakdown of the family. There's loss uh, in love we ought to have for the dearest. Unforgiving. People will not try to agree. That they will uh, hold grudges against people. That they will uh, do whatever they do to, um, to, do that, to not get along with people. That they will not be forgiving. Uh, continuing on in verse 3. Slanderers. Uh, speaking evil of people in and out of the church, uh, doing away with people's reputations without self-control. Will I do it because it feels good? Such motto is a mission of modern society. You know, you you see it. Well, why'd you do that? Well, I just didn't have self-control. Well, why, you know, even the little things, right? Why'd you go eat that that piece of ice cream or the piece of cake? Because I didn't have self-control, right? I mean, but then you get into big picture things. Well, why why'd you say that? Well, I just didn't have control of my tongue, James chapter 3. Why did you do that for? Self-control. We need to make sure we put ourselves under control so that we can be under the control of Almighty God. Continuing on, he says, brutal, despiser, despiser of those that are good, traitors. 
those that are headstrong, those that are haughty, those that love a pleasure more than the love of God. I mean, if you want, if you want a, uh, I, mean, I, I know I went over that list very quickly, but I didn't want to get bogged down too much in the details to, to get to what I want to get to. But if you want a description, if you want a description of what verses 3 down to verse number 4 it really is, I think you could sum it up by that last one, that they are lovers of pleasure than lovers of God. Why, why is it that the world does this? Because they're a lover of pleasure. They're a lover of the things of the world instead of the lovers of God. People today just say, well, why do you do that? Because I wanted to. Why, why are you living that lifestyle? Because I want to do that lifestyle. They, they look out for their interest to others instead of looking out for the interest of themselves. Those who love the pleasure of the world more than they love God. Sadly, these characteristics that can be seen inside the church and outside the church today, but, call, but Paul calls them wonder perilous times. Now look at verses 5 down through about verse number 7. From verse number 5 to verse number 7. So verses three, 2 to verse number five, uh, 4, we saw the deeds of these people, the things that they do. But verse, from verse 5 down to verse 7, we're going to look at the departure. The idea of, hey, there is a leaving. That they are leaving the, the faith. That they are leaving God. Look at verse number 5. From, uh, from having a form of God in this, but denying its power and having such people turn away. That is the departure. That is the idea of, hey, they are leaving. That they, that they are walking and then they turn away from such. Verse 5 appears to be religious, however it is in name only. But they do not have the power of Christ. Look at verse 6. For, for, uh, for of this sort are those who make creep in households and make captives of gullible women, loading down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. The idea of creep is to worm in, to disguise, and to sneak away. I almost, almost called this section, you got the departure, but you also got the deception. Because what, what, what is the idea of a creep? They kind of worm themselves in. They, they kind of get their foot stuck in the foot in the, door, the crack of the door, and then what happens? They creep in, right? A, 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 a thief doesn't just come breaking in a door, right? They kind of just try to crack it open very nice and softly and then get in, get in very quietly. Same way is with these people of perilous times. They are a creep. They are trying to worm themselves in. They are trying to sneak them themselves in. These are uh, people who are evil and people will uh, fall for a lie because they will deceive themselves as the truth. So we see here that they have departed from the faith. Now, look at verse 8 and 9. I've, I've, I've called this the past. So you, so you got the, pe- the promise of perilous times. You got the people. We saw their deeds. We saw their departure. We saw their deception. How they, they'll put on masks and things like that. But this is the past. The past that I want to look at very quickly. He says, Now, as Janus and Jairus resisted Moses, so do the people resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapprove concerning the faith, but they will progress no further, for their folly will manifest to all as theirs was, also was. So here, here Paul uses an illustration going back to the Old Testament time during Moses, and he says, hey, just like these people did, 
So also these resist the truth. Hey, instead of submitting to God and submitting to the truth of His Word, they turn from it. And that's basically a summary of verses 1 down through verse number 7. And, me, and when I first started writing this sermon, I was going to just kind of end there at verse number 9 and talk more about this and talk about these things. But I felt like I'd be doing this text an injustice if I did that. Because, you know, there's all these evil things going on in the world and we just talk about the evil. We talk about all these things, but we never talk about the solutions. Because where is the solution found? You find the solution in verse number 10 down through the rest of the chapter. There's all these evil. There's all these problems, verses 1 through 9. But Paul's going to give a solution for it. How, how can we as a nation turn back to God? How can we, living in perilous times in these last days, turn to God and do the things that He needs to? There, verses 10 through 17 is the prescription. You know, if you're sick, you go to the doctor. What do they many times give you? They give you a prescription. Maybe if you got strep throat, they give you an antibiotic to, get, to kill that that virus in your body so that, it, that you can get well. Maybe, maybe you're feeling sick, so you take some, some, some kind of sinus medicine to help you with your sinuses, especially during this time of the year. There is a prescription that helps fix the problem. There's a problem in this world. We're living in evil days. There, We're living in perilous times. How do you fix it? You go find God's prescription. There's a prescription for perilous times. Look at verses 10 down through verse 17. There, there are two prescriptions mentioned here in this text. The first one is found in verses 10 through 14, and that is work for God. Work for God. Look at verse number 10. He says, But follow carefully, follow my doctrine, my manner of life, my purpose, my faith, my long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, what per, perse, uh, persecutions I endure, and out of them... The Lord delivered me yet, and and uh, all those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceitful. But you must continue in the things in which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. So when we look at verses 10 down through verse 14, the first prescription is work for God. Be willing to work for God. How can we work for God? Number one is follow the pattern. Follow the pattern. That's verse number 10. Notice what Paul says there to Timothy. Remember he is, Remember the context of this book. Paul is writing to a young evangelist. He kind of warns him of all the evil things that are going to happen. And now he's giving the prescription of how you can live your life that you can make sure that you won't follow those evil days. The first one is, number one, work for God by following the pattern. You know, when you, when you make a quilt, when, you, when you're designing a quilt, what do you have? You have a pattern, right? And what do you do? You cut out that pattern. And then you just continue to follow that pattern. What happens? If you, if you stack them up, what do you have? The same pattern over and over again. Why? Because you followed that first one exactly the right way. Friends, we are to look to the pattern of the Bible. We're looking to the pattern of the life of Jesus. And if we pattern our life after the life of Jesus, you know what's going to happen? We're going to be that example that for people to follow after. He says, but follow my example. And then, then he lists some things that we can follow his example after. For doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, and all these things. It's a very similar list if you go over to 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 12. There where Paul says, be an example to believers in love and faith and purity and, and manner of life, conversation and conduct and love and impurity. 
It's a very similar list. And not only is this the second time that Paul gives this, he gave it also to be an example. And to be an example in those things that you live. Be a pattern for people to model your life after. Paul said, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. And Paul here saying, hey, be that pattern for people to follow after. But then from verse number 11 down to verse number 13, the way you can work for God is by enduring persecutions. Persecutions. You, you see there in verse number 11, the first word is persecutions. Afflictions which happened to me in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra. If you go back to Acts chapter 13 and 14, there where Paul is on his first missionary journey, he goes to these cities. And you know what happens many times in these cities? He's left for dead. He's stoned. He's literally almost stoned to death. He's literally having to escape and flee from his own life because of the persecutions that he is having to endure. And he says, hey, be work for God by standing up for the truth of God's word and be willing to endure persecutions. I find it interesting here in verse number 12. He says, yes, and all those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Have you suffered persecution lately? Maybe we've learned to dodge persecution. Maybe we've learned to dodge because we've learned to conform and we've learned to compromise. But friends, those that live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. I want to ask you this, kind of going along with our text this morning. We talked about perilous times, all these different issues that we have going on. What if there comes a point in these perilous times that we're living in that they come to us and say, hey, we have to abide in this doctrine. You have to give in to the idea of same-sex marriage. You've got to allow people to use your building to have marriages of same-sex. What, what are we going to say? Are we going to say no and stand up for God's Word because the truth of God's Word is that marriage is for one man, one woman, for life? From the beginning, Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2. But are we going to be people that give in because... The Bible says if we live godly, we're going to suffer persecution. If we stand, take a stand, there's going to be persecution. You can see that throughout the world. Of the different churches that have made stands, and there's been endured persecution. And they'd be willing to take a stand against those people of perilous times and their deeds, no matter the cost, because all oh, those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But then verse number 14, we've got to be willing to work for God because we've got to persevere. We've got to persevere. Look at verse 14, he says, but you continue. The idea of continue is keep on going. Persevere in the things which you have learned and been assured of knowing of whom you have learned them. You know, it's easy to beat the devil one time. But you know what's hard? To beat him a second time. You know, there, there's a saying in sports that we have, it's, it's, it's easy to beat a good team once. It's even easy to beat a good team twice. It's hard to beat them three times. I've, I've seen it through my coaching career. You know, team, we'll beat them one time. We'll, we'll, we'll give them a good smack down the second time. And then they give us a good smack down the third time. You know why? Because we've lowered our bar. We've lowered our expectation. We're not playing as hard as we should. That's the same way with the devil. We beat the devil one time. We beat the devil the same time with the same temptation. And then the third time it gets us. Why? Because we lowered our guard. We lowered our expectations. But here Paul simply says, persevere. Continue in the things which you have learned. And that, of course, is reflecting to the Word of God as we're going to see here. 
So the prescription is what? We've got to work for God. We've got to be willing to work. We got, there's a pattern to follow. There's persecution that's going to endure, but we've got to persevere. We've got to persevere through the persecution. And secondly, the second prescription, probably more importantly, is this. The Word of God. The Word of God. So we've got to work for God, but secondly, we've got to know the Word of God. And really, I think, like I said, I think the second one's more important than the first one. Because if we know the Word of God, then guess what we're going to do? Most likely, we're going to live the Word of God. First, we've got to have the Word of God in us, so therefore we can live it out and people can see that in us. So verse number 15 says, And from your childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise into salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. There's a showing there's a showing here that we can see. And from the childhood you have shown, you have made known the Holy Scriptures. Go over to 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 5. There is the idea of showing. There Paul says this, When I call to your remembrance the genuine faith that is in you which first dwell in your grandmother Lois and your grandmother Eunice, and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded it is in you also. What happened? Number one, they lived out their faith. But they showed their kids the faith by showing them the Bible, by reading to them the Bible, by giving them the truth from the Holy Scriptures. The Word of God is our prescription because we got to show it. You know, I remember David Shannon, which is the president of Harding, Harding, Freed Hardman University. And he said this in a sermon. He says, we're one generation away from apostasy. And sadly, many times we don't even save our own children. Because we don't take the time to teach them the Word of God. We need to teach our children and our grandchildren the Word of God. But number not only is there a showing, but number two, there's a salvation. He says, which have made you wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Friends, if we want to save the world, you know how we're going to do it? By teaching them this book. By taking the book that brings them salvation. And brings them to the truth of God's Word. We got to... We got to Show them the Scriptures. But then getting down to the verses we probably know best, verses 16 and 17. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. I want us to notice a few things about these verses and the lesson will be yours. All Scripture, that shows the sufficiency of Christ. When, when I talk about all of Scripture, I'm talking about, hey, we have everything that we need right here in these 66 books. We don't need more. We don't need less. We just need to stick to the Word of God because it is sufficient. It has given us all things that pertain to the life of God in the Second Peter chapter, three, chapter 1 and verse number 3. It is sufficient. But not only is it sufficient, but it is the right source. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. This source came from God. You know, we, we talked about how there in verses 3 down to verse number 6, or verse 2 to verse number uh, 5, how that these people were not lovers of God. You know why they weren't lovers of God? Because they didn't love God's Word. They were going to other sources of happiness, like we talked about in Bible class this morning, instead of going to the source that we need to, and that is the Word of God that is God-breathed. But all, not only this, but it is also sacred. This book is sacred. He says there, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it is profitable. Now I want, you, I want to give you three things very quickly. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof slash correction, that's number two, 
and instruction in righteousness. The idea of doctrine is teaching us what is right. The idea of reproof and correction is how to get right. And correct instruction and righteousness is how to stay right. Friends, you want to fix this world? You've got to get back to the Word of God. That's the prescription. And you've got to do it by going to the Word of God because it is our doctrine, it is what is right. It's our proof, it's a reproof that is how to get right. And instruction righteousness, and that is how to stay right. At one point, this nation was right. But we veered off, we got off track because we didn't go back to the Word of God. We, we deviated from the Word of God in that. So when we look at this text in 2 Timothy chapter 3, there's no doubt we live, are living in perilous times. We need to make sure we are ready to, because we never know when Jesus will come back. We need to be like John in Revelation 22 and verse 20. Lord Jesus, come quickly. Because we see the world in which we're living in, but we also need to be praying, Lord, give us time to help save these lost people. But maybe you're here this morning and you are not a Christian. You're not ready to meet God. You can become a Christian this morning by simply obeying the gospel message. You're doing what Jesus said. Jesus says, if you do not believe I am he, you will die in your sins. John 8, verse 24. The Ethiopian Union was told, if you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, you, you can be baptized. So we see that belief is a foundational point in a person's life. But that's not all what a person has to do. You've got to believe, you've got to confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God with your mouth, just like the Ethiopian eunuch did. You've got to be willing to repent of your sins. That is turned. Peter on the first gospel sermon told those people to repent. But he also told them to be baptized for their forgiveness of sins. And that is the fifth step of salvation. Baptism is the point in which you are in Christ, which you have your sins washed away. Acts 22 and verse 16. But maybe you're here this morning, you've done that, but you, you, you've, you've lived true to the Word of God, but you've kind of fallen away from it. You've not been living your life, being that pattern you need to, need to be for people around you. You haven't been following it, and you need to go back to the prescription. That is the Word of God. And the Word of God says, if you are a Christian, you have the benefits of being in Christ, which is the blood of Christ that continually cleanses you, cleanses you from your sins. First John 1, 7-9. We can help you anyway. Come now together. We stand and as we sing.